Are you ready to continue the series? I'm, 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 I hope you are enjoying this series on spiritual maturity. Today we come to session three. And I want to welcome you back uh, to this series. And those of you watching online as well, uh, also special greetings to those of you at uh, City Campus. Well, over the last two weeks, we have explored what spiritual maturity is not. And I trust that you still remember the six things that it is not. And then we, last week, we also talked about what spiritual maturity is. We talked about how it kind of encapsulated by the verse in Timothy, where it talks about having a pure love, having a good conscience, and having a sincere faith. And this morning, what I'd like to do is actually share with you two critical things that can actually hinder our progress towards spiritual maturity. And I've entitled this session as What Hinders Spiritual, authority, uh, spiritual Maturity. And the two things I want to talk to you about this morning is basically, number one, satanic opposition. This, are th this is one thing that can oppose us when it comes to uh, making progress towards spiritual maturity. The second is a soulish orientation. And what I like to do is to look at them one at a time. So let's bow. We have a word of prayer, and then we can begin. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you will anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, and authority. Lord, I pray that your word will become alive for us. Help us to understand what we are facing as we seek to make progress towards spiritual maturity. Lord, may you help us to see that today you have given us everything we need to take a stand against every demonic op opposition that can come against us. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have done everything on the cross to enable us not to live according to the flesh, but according to your Spirit. So we commit this time of sharing now to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. In the year 1986, I, uh, I was preaching in a Baptist church in Penang, and that was the first time I actually met a demon face to face. It was my introduction to the world of the demonic. After I finished preaching, it was just a normal Sunday service. After I finished preaching, the pastor invited the people in the church to go to a prayer room so that I can meet anyone who needs prayer. I can meet them there and I'll pray for them there. And true enough, after the session, I went to the prayer room and there was a string of people waiting to be prayed for. And we pray, I prayed for every one of them as they shared with me their issues. I prayed for them and everything was as per normal until the last person. Uh, it was an Indian brother that came up to me and he was the last person I had to pray for. And I remember by that time I was actually quite tired already. He came up to me and he shared his problem. And when I saw him, the moment I saw him, I knew that there was something off about this guy because I could see from his eyes that he wasn't really focusing. It's a bit like glaze over kind of eyes. And he was looking at me and then he shared with me what his problem was. And he confessed to me that he was actually addicted to masturbation. So much so that he has to do it a few times every single day. And he's been like that for months and months and months. It was compulsive. It was out of control. And it was obviously abnormal and not simply biological. So when he shared that all with me, and I was trying to take them all in, and then I said, okay, let me pray for you. And at that point, you need to understand, I've never been exposed 
to deliverance. And I've, I happen, but I happened to be reading a book by an author called Alexander White. And the book was entitled, The Power of the Blood. And so as I prayed for him, I remember what the book said, and I did what the book said. It was basically this, plead the blood of Jesus over the people that we are praying for. And so that's what I did. All I said was, I plead the blood of Jesus on this brother. And immediately, his eyes kind of rolled up, and then he fell to the ground, and he started rolling on the ground. And then after a while, he started slitting on the floor like a snake, you know. He was really moving like that. I was shocked. The pastor was shocked. I mean, it's a Baptist pastor. He was totally shocked. And I, I was shocked too because it was my first time, but because I was a guest speaker, I got to act cool, you know. <laughs> Even though inside I was, what is going on here? But I need to act cool, so I acted as cool as I can. And then I did the only thing I know how to do. I shout louder, you know, so I just shout louder, and then, get out, get out, and I was trying, all kinds of things, I was just screaming, and for half an hour, I was screaming and shouting at the demon. Praise God, at the end of half an hour, he was finally set free, you know, actually, I was more relieved than him, you know, <laughs> after half an hour, so I was, finally, he was set free, and then I got invited back to the church again, praise, praise the Lord, <laughs> But that was my introduction to the world of the demonic. And I had no idea what was going on. And over the next two years, God actually took me on a journey where I learned everything I know about deliverance, about the demonic, and all of that. And I can tell you this, brothers and sisters, the day when you became a Christian, whether you know it or not, you were enlisted into an army. The day you became a Christian, you are not just now a servant of God, but you are a soldier of the cross. You don't just have a Christian walk, my friend, you also have a Christian warfare. And this warfare is very real. There are two extremes when it comes to dealing with the demonic. One end of the spectrum is we ignore the devil, ignore his work, and we get on with our life like as if Satan does not exist. That's one end of the pendulum. The other end of the pendulum is when we pay too much attention to the devil and we attribute everything to the devil and we blame the devil for even our own sinful desires and our own sinful nature. Are you with me? And we just don't deal with our own soulish orientation, but we just blame everything on the devil. That's the other end of the pendulum. But I think what we need to do, brothers and sisters, is to recognize both these elements of the satanic opposition and soulish orientation. And if we understand them, then we can apply the biblical remedies that can move us towards maturity. So firstly, let's deal with the first one, satanic opposition. Let's talk a little bit about this. Who are we fighting against? Who is warring against us? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says this, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. How many of you know we have an enemy? And that enemy is the devil. And he is prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. He is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you know what? He is not working alone. The devil is not working alone. He has an army of fallen angels that we now call demons that Satan could actually deploy to work against the people of God. 
Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is nothing tame about these verses. It is an intense war that is going on. I know that Kinetics is going through a series on, on exactly these passages. But we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the unseen realm, my friend, is more real than we think. And we must not be unaware of the devil's scheme. What do we need to do? Put on the full armour of God and we take a stand against him in Jesus' name. That's what we need to do. And here's the thing, what are demons up to, right? You, you, the, the Chinese have a saying, you know yourself, you know your enemy, a hundred battles, a hundred victories. And it's true. We first need to know our enemy. What is he up to? What are demons up to? Basically, they have two main tasks. Listen carefully to this. They only have two main tasks. Number one is this, to stop you from becoming a Christian. What is the devil up to? First thing he wants to do, stop people from becoming a Christian. See, before one becomes a believer, the demons will do anything it takes to stop them from becoming one. You know, the demonic would even grant supernatural powers. And I, I live, I, I used to come from Asia, right? And in the Asian world, we have plenty of this. I've seen so many of this. They, they even grant supernatural powers to people to gain wealth, right? They gain wealth. They, 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 in, in, in the Asian world where I come from, I, I come from families where they deal with such things. They will feed demons, you know, and sometimes you go to the Asian world, you see people eating their dinner and then they will take some rice and they throw it over their shoulders. What are they doing? They're actually dealing with the demonic realm, feeding little demons that will give them ideas on wealth and how to get wealth and all of that. There are people who want sex and women and all of that. They, are, they use charms and things like that. They are all demonic in nature just to get what they want. And the devil will let people enjoy these things, but keep them in bondage. You can have all these things, but you're still in spiritual bondage. But the moment someone chooses to become a Christian, that's when the trouble begins. I come across a lady doctor in Sitiawan in Malaysia. She got herself an advanced diploma in psychic healing. And that's what she was doing. She went to study all about psychic healing. She started to incorporate psychic power into her medical practice. And she thought that she was helping her patients. And everything was going okay until she decided to become a Christian. And from that moment on, she started having nightmares and insomnia and things like that. She started having incredible turmoils that was going on inside of her mind. Until you know when? An evangelist came to town in Sitiawan and through a word of knowledge, set her free from a spirit of mind control. And she struggled and she was finally set free. The devil would do anything to stop a person from becoming a Christian, but the choice is ultimately ours. 
See, and when a person chooses to put their trust in Jesus Christ, the devil couldn't do anything about it because we have volition and free will and people make a decision and then they are taken out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvellous light. And once that happened, then the devil will switch to task number two. What's the first task? Stop you from becoming a Christian. And when he fails and then the person gets converted to Christianity, then the second thing kicks in. The second task is to hinder your walk with God. He would do anything to hinder our walk with God. After one chooses to become a Christian, there is nothing that Satan and his demons can do to prevent that. But from here on, his aim is to hinder our ongoing walk with God. They will stop us from serving God effectively. They send temptations to try and trip us up in our walk with God. They send hindrances, things like that, to oppose us as we seek to walk the ways of God. They will seek to keep you under bondage in areas of your life where you are not fully surrendered to God, be it greed or pride or fear or lust and things like that. And they will, the devil try to keep us under bondage in those areas that we fail to yield to God. But the good news I have for you, my brothers and sisters, is this. God has given us authority over every power of the enemy. He has. We have the power to bind in the works of the evil one and to lose God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 19. Um, the, the gospel writers tell us this. The 72, referring to the 72 that was sent out, right, to, to, to share the gospel. The 72 returned with joy. And then they said this, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How many of you know demons are subjected to you? You don't know? Okay, you know. All right, good. Demons subject to us in your name. And then Jesus replied, listen, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The devil has fallen and said, I have given you authority now to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Church, I think it is time for us to rise in spiritual authority and we take back from the devil everything that he has stolen from us in Jesus' name. And he brings us, and this, this morning I want you to know this, the Holy Spirit is present here to set you free. Doesn't matter what kind of opposition you're facing right now, the, the Holy Spirit is here to set us free from all satanic opposition and you can be set free in Jesus' name. See, and that's, actually easier to handle because we've got spiritual weapons that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We've got the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We have all these things to deal with the demonic. But the bigger challenge is actually the second one, which is our soulish orientation. That one, unfortunately, we are dealing with the sinful nature. We're dealing with the flesh. That one, unfortunately, I cannot cast out. I wish I can. If I just cast out the flesh, then I'm free, you know. But I can cast out the devil. I can cast out demons in your life, but I cannot cast out the flesh. This one, we got to deal with it. Okay, so that brings me to my second thing we need to look at. And the first one, let's deal with it this morning. 
let's take the weapons of our warfare and we pull down every opposition that stands in your way from pursuing spiritual maturity. The second one has to do with the soulish orientation. Let's talk a little bit about this. What is a soulish orientation? Now, we all know that the soul, when I mention the word soul, um, this word soul actually is made, we all, we all know that we are spirit being, but we have a soul. God has given us a soul. What is a soul? It is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Okay, the soul is made up of these three things, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And if we live to the power of the soul, instead of living by the power of the Spirit that is now resident within us, we have the Holy Spirit. We can live by the power of the Spirit. But instead of living by the power of the Spirit, man can still choose to... Christian, even a believer, can still choose to live by the power of the soul. If we live our, our life based on the power of the soul, then basically our whole life is based on what we think, what we want, and how we feel. Everything is governed by the mind, the will, the emotion, what I think, what I want, and how I feel. Everything gets reduced to just this soulish realm of man. Then what has happened? We begin to depend on ourselves more than God. We no longer live our life based on the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, but we now live our life based on our own soulish realm, based on my mind, my will, and my emotion. Now, how do I know if I'm actually soulish? Can I just give you three things here, just to make it, just to cast a bit of light on this, okay? There are three manifestations, I think, of the soulish life, and it goes like this. Number one, if we literally live by the power of the soul, our mind will operate with soulish wisdom. That's the first thing you see, that the, that person will live the whole mind. Our mind is operated with soulish wisdom. The soulish mind is more concerned about explaining than experiencing. We like to argue and to reason. And the fact is that we seeking it out is more important to us than leaving it out. That we just want to know and to understand everything, but we don't even live it. And it doesn't trouble us. We are long on knowledge, but short on experience. We criticize other people, but we don't correct ourselves. And we start to think that knowing is as good as living, but that's a deception. Just because you know doesn't mean you're actually living it. You see, we have the capacity to receive knowledge but not the humility and the grace to access to, to, towards those who, who don't know as much. And in the end, we all come across as hard and cold, full of knowledge, but lacking in grace. Our thinking, our whole thinking is not framed by God's Word, but it's framed by our own understanding. See, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 16, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. But who amongst men knows the thoughts of a man except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So what is he saying? Spiritual things can only be understood by a mind that is governed by the Spirit. 
But if, our, if we are totally dependent on our own understanding, we cannot fully comprehend spiritual things. Why? Because Paul goes on to say this, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words that are taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. But the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things must be spiritually understood. Are you with me? And if we allow, the, we, if everything, we, if our worldview, the way we view the world is only through our natural mind, without taking reference from the Word of God, without taking reference from the Spirit of God, then we are missing the point. Because spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. You know, there is a, a passage, I don't think it's on the PowerPoint, but in James chapter 3, from verse 13 to 18, the, apost the Apostle James actually contrasts between this sort of soulish wisdom, or what he called earthly wisdom, versus heavenly wisdom, wisdom that comes from above. And the contrast is amazing. The contrast is, is, is stark, you know. If, if I can just read for you quickly, James chapter 3. Let me just read this verse for you. It just comes to my mind, so I'm just going to read it for you, right? In James chapter 3, in verse 13 onwards, listen to what it says here. And for those of us who are naturally smart, and many of you here are very smart people. I just look at your face, I know you're smart. And we had a tendency, even more so, we will have a tendency to, to exercise our own wisdom because we've got a good mind to think, you see. Now, listen to what it says here. The, the wise man, uh, James says this in James 3.13, who is wise and understanding amongst you? That's a rhetorical question, right? Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Then he gave his own answer. He said, let them show it by their good life, by deeds that are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, for most of us, whenever we think wisdom, what comes to your mind? Uh, immediately we think of an old man with white hair sitting cross-legged on the floor, spilling out wonderful words of wisdom, then the rest of us taking notes. That's the picture you get of a man of wisdom. But you know what? The Bible never said that. The Bible says, who is wise amongst you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds that are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, wisdom is not about the words we can speak. It is about the life we need to live. Let it come from a good life by deeds that are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's about hum living in a humble way. Doing that which is that God wants, okay? But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, then don't boast about it or deny the truth because such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. It is unspiritual, which is where you get the word soulish. That's soulish wisdom, and it's demonic. It starts out as just earthly or human, then it becomes soulish, then it becomes demonic. From where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, then reap a harvest of righteousness. Hallelujah. You see the point? What the writer is of, of James is saying is this, earthly wisdom 
soulish wisdom will result in chaos. It results in disorder and every evil practice. But the mind that is where the Holy Spirit is in charge, then our minds become subject to Christ, subject to His Word, and we begin to think thoughts after Him. So one of the signs of a soulish man is our mind operates through soulish wisdom, earthly wisdom. Here's number two. This one's very important. The will is ruled by stubborn self-conceit. The will is ruled by a stubborn, prideful conceit inside. Have you ever, uh, I told you once this story about a, a guy who got promoted, you know, he became vice president of his company. He was so proud. Everywhere he go for the next few weeks, everybody he meets, he will find opportunity to tell them, you know, by the way, I'm vice president now of my company. So everywhere he goes, he was doing that, he was doing that, until his wife couldn't take it anymore. So the wife finally sat the husband down and said, John, can I just tell you something? You know, can you stop telling people that you just became vice president? Because actually, it's no big deal. Do you know nowadays, they give vice president to almost anybody in the office? Do you know that in the, sh shopping, in the shopping center, they even have a vice president for prawns? Do you know that? <laughs> well, the husband was so deflated in his ego, but he don't believe what the wife said. So next morning, he picked up the phone, he called the supermarket, and he said, you know, sarcastically, can I speak to the vice president of prawns, please? And the receptionist say, fresh or frozen prawns? <laughs> Got that? <laughs> so what's my point? My point is this. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And sometimes we overrate ourselves, don't we? We think we're some big deal, you know. And I tell you, the Christian who thrives on the soulish life, on the soulish life can be very proud, very conceited inside. He thinks he's always right. He's occupied with himself, very conscious of what he has accomplished, and he will not hesitate to let you know what he has done. He thinks more of himself than the Lord. The center of his life is not God. The center of his life is self. The will is just totally ruled by this selfish, stubborn self-conceit. And the Lord's work done through that person is more important than the Lord Himself. And if He considers something to be good, then it must be accepted by other people. If I think it's important, you should all think it's important. If not, you're not as spiritual as I am. Are you with me on this? You can think of somebody in your cell group already. Okay, don't, don't think of it, okay? <laughs> A person like that, rude by, rude by self, conceit inside, his opinion is always the right opinion. It's my way or the highway. It's my way or no way. See, and, and he serves when he wants to serve. He does what he wants to do. It's what, what he gives that matters, not so much whether other people need it or not. So I'm going to give you all my advice, whether you think you need it or not. Because why? Because I think I have good advice to tell you. The real is just rude by self, prideful. We talk without caring if that's what the listener needs to hear. We're just so consumed with ourselves. And when the task is done, the outcome is good, 
the soulish believer walks away with this feeling, you know, I'm the man. I'm the one who did it. And in our mind, we actually, we may not say it. You understand? Many of us are very cultured, so we may not say it, but we feel it inside. And we secretly believe that if I'm not the one that did it, the result won't be as good. You better thank God I did it, understand? <laughs> What's that? That is the flesh. That is the soulish man rearing his ugly head. And we got to recognize this. The mind operates through soulish wisdom. The will consumed with ourselves and our own stubborn conceit. And I'll leave you one last one. The emotions are easily stirred by circumstances. If we live by the soulish realm, that will, that's going to be what's happened. Our, our emotions are easily stirred by circumstances. Carnal Christians are easily stirred emotionally. We have mood swings. We can be excited and passionate this week, but then feel depressed and sad the next week. We feel like, this week, I want to answer a call to missions. Next week, I feel like leaving church already. You know, we fluctuate. Our emotions just rules us. We are revived on Sunday, but we backslide on Monday. You know, high, high, dry, dry, high, high, dry, dry. If you find that that's your kind of spiritual life you are living, guess what? I think you are living by the power of the soul rather than the spirit. We vacillate and we swing, you know, totally based on emotional highs and lows. We end up like chameleons. We change according to the environment that we are in. If we are around fiery hot Christians, we feel on fire. But then when we are around our worldly friends, we become just like them. Then what are we doing? I think we are living by the soul. Another mark of the soulish Christian, oversensitivity when it comes to emotion. We are so easily wounded, so easily hurt by the words and actions of other people. Just because your friend didn't greet you, you're angry already. Just because you come to church and Pastor Thomas never shake your hand, now you say, you see, I'm proud already, proud already. <laughs> it makes you difficult to get along with because we are suspicious of every move that people make. We get angry when they're neglected, they're upset when the people draw too near. You know, we're like, the emotional Christian cannot wait we want to do what we want to do now. We move hastily. We cannot wait on God. We act on impulse rather than principle. And I think the soulish Christian seeks after sensations in order to feel spiritual. Then we don't understand the ways of the Lord. We are not letting fact lead the way. We're not letting the truth lead the way. We are allowing our feelings to lead the way. And I think we need to watch this. So when we come to church on a Sunday morning, instead of, let, instead of learning to dominate the spiritual atmosphere, we allow the prevailing spiritual atmosphere to dominate us. And then we end up just driven by emotion. And I want to challenge you, my brothers and sisters, we do not want to become soulish Christians. The soulish believer needs to learn from King David in Psalms 42 to let the spirit man Govern the soul, not the other way around. Psalms 42, verse 5 to 7. Listen to what David says here. David was 
writing or singing, and he said this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? But put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzah, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is King David talking, right? Talking to who? Talking to himself, right? He was talking to his own soul. He's saying, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. But which part of David is talking to himself? Which part of, of him is talking to his own soul? I believe it's his spirit. He's allowing his spirit man to rise up and actually confront the soul because he knows emotionally he's feeling so down. He's depressed, he's downcast. So he's allowing the spirit to rise up and he tells himself, you know, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And he's allowing the spirit to now rise and speak to his soul. Get the soul to, tutor the soul to come in line. Tutor your emotions, come in line with the will of God. And I think we all need to do that every now and then. Would you say with me, I am a spiritual man, not a soulish creature. I walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. I'm spirit-led, not soul-driven. I'm a spiritual man. That's who you are. You're a spiritual man, a spiritual woman. So what then is the answer? I think in the light of these two hindrances, right? Satanic opposition, number one. Number two, soulish orientation. What should we do? First, we need to understand how Satan works. In James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, actually the two of them are linked together. Let me show you how Satan works. In James 1, verse 13 to 15, James said this, When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own sinful desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, then gives birth to death. So what is going on here every time we talk about uh, temptation, every time we see Satan coming to work against us, what is happening is here. I think, think of yourself as this, okay? Well, this is a good opportunity to show off my drawing skill. Uh, this is a, a man, typical man. Now, in all of us, there is that sin nature that is in man. So how does the devil actually get us? What he does is that, so think of the devil here. Okay, so what the devil does, he appeals to what? He appeals to that flesh. He appeals to the sin nature that is in man. And when this, when we are enticed, when we are lured by this, whatever the devil plays before us, and when we are lured by it, then what will happen? This give temptation then gives birth to sin. Okay? He appealed to that sin nature, but it ends up, if we yield to it, we end up committing sins. And sin, when he has done his job on us, it gives birth to death. See, but here's the thing. The devil can only appeal to the sin nature that is in the flesh that is in us. So can you imagine if we take the flesh out of, out of the picture, then guess what? He's got nothing to work on. Uh, hello? If you take the flesh out of the picture, then Satan has got nothing to work on. 
He has nothing to appeal to. And that's where we find our victory. You see, the truth is, if the flesh is not there, then Satan will have nothing to work on. And the key to a victorious Christian life rests in this. We die to ourselves and have a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit. Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would would come after me, he must deny himself Take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the first step out of soulish Christianity, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. The cross is where God deals with the self-life. We deny ourselves, take up the cross, and we follow Him. I think this is the master key to spiritual maturity. Listen to what Matthew 16 is saying here. It says, if anyone would, that means you have a choice. And today, you and I can make a choice. We make that choice to say, yes, I will do this. I will choose to die to myself that I may gain the life of the Spirit. You make that choice. And then the second thing he said is this, he must deny himself. Decide to forsake the power of the soul. Don't live by the power of the soul. But denying self is not self-denial, but it is a denying of my fleshly, carnal, self-centered eye. Take eye off the throne of your heart. Put Jesus there. Okay, then he goes on to say, take up the cross. Why? Because the cross is an instrument of death. It is there that we die with Christ on the cross. This is the place where we die to ourselves, and then you follow Him. This is the essence of Christianity. Then we are no longer following our own ways, but we are now running after the Spirit. So, here's the key. Go back to the cross. I think this is the master key to spiritual maturity. Don't depend on ourselves. No willpower can help us. We need the power of the cross. I die to myself. I die together with Christ on the cross. Turn away from my mind, my will, my dependence on my mind, will, and emotion. And I say, God, I trust in you. I cannot. You can. That's why people who try to get rid of bad habits never work. Have you ever noticed that, right? Bad habits, you try every year, you know, we, at the start of the year, we set resolution that I get rid of this habit, get rid of the habit. Never works. You know why? You take away the H, you still got a bit. <laughs> you take away the A, you still got bit. If you take away the B, you still got it. <laughs> you know what's the secret? You need to look to the cross. Then this I will exit. That's the key. The I will exit. I die to myself. I take up the cross and I follow him. That's the key. No amount of willpower is going to make it work. It doesn't work that way. Galatians 2.20 is the secret. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. This is the pinnacle of the Christian faith the highest peak that any Christian can climb, the tallest peak you can scale in Christianity is not that you can cast out a demon, heal the sick, or even raise the dead, I tell you. 
it is becoming so identified with Christ in His death and His resurrection. There is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 Since we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. I challenge you this afternoon, this morning, that you come to the cross, recognize that our old man of the flesh, the soulish me, have actually been crucified with Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why Paul wrote Galatians 2.20 in the past tense. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. You don't crucify yourself anymore. You just need to consider yourself crucified in Christ. It's already done 2,000 years ago. I need not be governed by the soul anymore. I can live by the Spirit. And since I live by the Spirit, I must keep in step with the Spirit. And then we will live a victorious Christian life. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit. I am not soulish. I am spiritual. I live by the Spirit, not the soul. I walk in the Spirit, not the flesh. I'm a man of the Spirit. Amen. You know, this morning, can I invite you to stand? In a few moments, we're going to pray, both here as well as in city campus. In a few moments, I want to invite us to pray, to respond to the Lord. There are a few things that is on my heart as I prepare for this. Number one, maybe some of you here, whether you're here or in online or in city campus, there's some of you here, maybe you've been in church first time, maybe second, but you're not personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. I want you to know, Satan's first job is to try and stop you from making that decision. Try and stop you from coming to the one who alone can save you. And this morning, you can make that decision to say, yes, Pastor Benny, I want to put my trust in Jesus and what He has done for me on the cross. If that is your desire, this morning, we want to pray for you. The second group of people I really want to pray for today are those who may be facing opposition right now. And you know, there are forces that are coming against you. There are demonic forces that work against us. And you know it and you feel it. And this morning you want to say, Pastor Benny, I think I, I need to be set free. I, I, I need to get this breakthrough. Then we are here to pray for you and to minister to you. If there are things in your life that you know is out of your control, you almost feel driven and compelled to do certain things or to engage in certain things, I want you to know that we are here to pray with you. And the Holy Spirit is here to set us free. Things that you think I really need to be free from. Then there are others of us here. You know that there are, if not, you live by the power of the soul and you recognize that. And even as I share some of these things, you say, God, I, I really want to put my trust in you. I want to take up that cross, deny myself, take up that cross and follow you. And this is a decision you need to make as, as we go through this series. You say, Brother Benny, I really want to pursue spiritual maturity. And I think there, there comes a point where you need to cross the line. And to say, I've come to this point of no return and I'm prepared to come and offer myself to the Lord. If that's something you need to do, I know you can do it from where you are, but I think there's a 
a difference when you take a step to say, I'm going to seal this. And it's a decision I'm making before God. And I offer myself at the altar. There's something powerful about that. And if you need to do that, you know, I'm going to pray. And after that, I'm going to invite you. As the worship team leads us, I'm going to invite you to come. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I invite your Holy Spirit to come. Do this work in all of our hearts. Lord, we recognize that you've been speaking to us all through these weeks. And God, we want to come to this place where we want to cross that line and to say, God, we make a decision before you. Come and do this work in our midst, we pray. Come and set people free. Come and help people come to a place of breakthroughs. And we want to commit this time of response to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.